Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's a great day to be great. Happy Thursday. Hope you guys are ready for some week six action. Before we dive into DFS betting picks, all that, I want to do a quick kind of snapshot look at the league through the first five weeks. Have some cool stats up for you here that you can't get anywhere else because I'm the only one at PFF trying to cover this shit for you guys. So, hey, let's why not share it with you guys? So, with all that said, I want to just try to paint the picture of the top best and worst teams in the league through five weeks because as we all know wins and losses don't always tell the whole story so with that in mind looking purely at the wins Birmingham Stylings remain the only undefeated team at 5-0 New Jersey Generals beat the New Orleans Breakers last week to get that four wins Breakers are right there with the Bandits at three and two Philadelphia Stars down there at two and three and then the Gamblers Panthers and Maulers alike have just one win on the year Point differential is painting a very different picture, though. We pretty much have a clear-cut big three in this league. The Birmingham Stallions, the New Jersey Generals, and the New Orleans Breakers all have a point differential plus 25 or more. Nobody else is even in the positive other than the Michigan Panthers. That's right. Your one of four fighting Jeff Fishers somehow have a positive plus seven point differential. I think that man will find a way maybe to get to 500. Do not put it past him. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the Bandits and Stars looking a little bit overrated with minus 15 and minus 19 point differentials, respectively. Houston Gamblers did drop one last week to the Pittsburgh Maulers, but last second touchdown. They've actually not lost a game all season by more than seven points, so even if the Gamblers are bad, you know, they can still be competitively bad. That's what's so great about seeing that Gamblers-Maulers game from last week. Take two, probably the two worst teams in the league, put them together, you still get an entertaining back-and-forth game. Maulers, though, minus 52-point differential. Tough to move them out of eighth in the power rankings even after that win. Thanks to uh, PFF's resident uh, doctor himself, Eric Eager, for providing some EPA per play numbers. Looking at that side of things, most efficient offense, the only offense with a positive EPA per play, has been the New Jersey Generals this year. Thanks in large part to what DeAndre Johnson has brought to the table as a passer and most notably as a rusher. Hopefully his 100% snap rate keeps up moving forward. Luis Perez, not terrible, but hey, I just think we have a higher ceiling there with DeAndre Johnson. Then the Stallions and Breakers, again, clear-cut top three big teams here. Uh, And then beyond them, you know, things get a little bit muddled with the rest of the squads. In terms of the defenses, top two defenses by far have been the Panthers and the Breakers. Stallions up there in that group, too, particularly thanks to their pass rush. On the other side of things, man, the Stars have been brutal on defense this year, only, you know, allowing the, the opposition to average a positive EPA per play against them. So Stars, horrendous defense. Breakers, Stallions, Panthers, really good defense. Stallions, Generals, Breakers, really good offenses. You guys can look at the PFF grades. As always, I have these articles up on PFF.com with all these fancy charts and all that. So please, any specific questions. I've had some of you reach out in DMs about, hey, you know, what's this player's grade? What's How's this team doing in this situation? Happy to talk ball with any other fellow USFL diehards. So with that snapshot out of the way, let's get into my power rankings after five weeks of action. And look, I'm 
I'm doing the power rankings in terms of like who, what they've done this year, not necessarily who I think, you know, should be the favorites to win it all. I still kind of think that the New Orleans Breakers are the best team in the USFL if they're playing at their best, but they haven't this year. So I can't really rank them ahead of teams that have straight up beaten them. So with that said, number one, it got to be the 5-0 and Birmingham Stallions. Hopefully Jamar Smith is under center for the remainder of the year. We saw him come in, replace Alex Magoo last week, go on, get the come from behind victory but smith has been the better quarterback throughout the year i know magoo was their week one starter uh we'll see what happens but hey birmingham maybe just do a small little bit of editing on the tweets you're sending out where you're listing jamar smith as a wide receiver like my god in like two or three injury tweets birmingham messed up like three or four different positional designations like it's not rocket science guys whoever whatever intern is sending out the birmingham stallions uh social media injury updates just Please, for the love of God, take an extra three minutes. You're sending this out at 2 a.m. Clearly, you have enough time to try to um, uh, to proofread these tweets uh, once or twice. Let's not list your potential starting quarterback the rest of the year as a wide receiver again, okay? New Jersey Generals, second spot at 4-1. Again, this is a tier, though. To me, Stallions, Generals, Breakers, and then a drop-off to everyone else. But, hey, Generals, best offense in the league in terms of EPA per play. If they can play with a lead week in and week out, they're going to be tough to knock off. Mentioned the breakers. They have just one, you know, they're at plus 25 point differential. The generals at plus 26. So I really think if you play that game 10 times, it's going to end up being five and five, maybe six and four in the direction of their generals. But at the same time, guys, I just don't think there's a team in the league that has the sort of firepower that the breakers do in that passing game. Kyle Sloter, Jonathan Adams, Johnny Dixon, Sean Poindexter, Taiwan Taylor. They can do a shoot. They can get in a shootout any given week. We haven't always seen it, but I just think they have that potential upside to throw the ball all over the yard far better than any other team in the usfl after the breakers it is going to be a tear drop off to the tampa bay bandits sitting at three and two that minus 15 point differential kind of shows you how the actual season has gone though with that said jordan tiamu i thought his best game of the year um last week and even in week four i mean he was able to turn in a top five fantasy performance using his legs and actually making one of the best throws of the season when he was rolling uh, right up about to go to the sidelines so Hopefully, Jordan is going to be peaking at the right time of the year. Tampa Bay, not all that complete. Todd Haley hasn't exactly impressed with what he's been doing scheme-wise. With that said, I still think that Jordan Tiamu deserves to have his name up there with the top quarterbacks in the USFL, which should give them a chance to win again during any given week. One and four, Michigan Panthers coming in as the five squad. They are a missed 21-yard field goal away from being two and three. And again, for them to have a positive point differential at one and four is just wild. Number one defense in the USFL. I mean, we didn't give them much enough credit for really shutting down New Jersey back in week two. I mean, that was a 10-6 ball game. They've had a lot of games that really could have gone either way. So it's unfortunate they're one and four right now. Sorry, Jeff Fisher. Not confusing them with a really good team, but I do think they are a little bit better uh, than some of these more atrocious teams we're going to get to. Not there yet, though. The Philadelphia Stars, I would not put in the bottom, bottom tier. Maybe they have something else coming. I mean, Case Cookus has had PFF's third highest passing grade since taking over, and they put up 43 combined points against arguably the two best defenses in the USFL in Michigan and Birmingham. The big question is, what really is the offensive ceiling? I mean, is... I know I just said we're giving them credit for the good matchups, but it's not a given that in softer matchups, Cookus is going to keep on cooking. <laughs> uh, he's mostly just been hitting the vertical concepts 
I still would love to see him get Brian Scott back, but just doesn't seem particularly likely at this point. The big issue for Philadelphia is with this pass-happy offense, hasn't done their defense any favors. Clearly the worst defense in the USFL. So they're only a little bit better than Michigan in terms of EPA per play gained on offense. Massive gap between the number one ranked defense and the number eight, obviously. For that reason, I am taking the Panthers just ahead of the Stars. Uh, you know, again, when we're looking at some of these games, uh, several of these games have been decided by just a last second field goal going one way or another. Uh, I would like to keep that in mind a little bit here when trying to rank the squads, but bottom two teams in the league, same as last week, the Houston Gamblers and Pittsburgh Maulers. Credit to the Maulers for getting that win, but again, minus 52 point differential on the year to see the Gamblers at just minus nine. Yeah, I mean, I just can't really be putting the Maulers ahead of the Gamblers, even though they got the dub last week, but hey, shout out to the USFL. 15 of 20 games have been decided by just one score. Keep up that parody. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Let's get into some DraftKings preview goodness. I would note the USFL, they decided to increase their roster sizes, which, yeah, makes sense. Good. More more people, more human beings getting paid professionally to play football. Like, that's all that we're really trying to look for here. With that said, please please, please, please continue to monitor the USFL team accounts before you go set a lineup on DraftKings. They usually release the injury reports. It's late late at night, 2 a.m., 1 a.m. was when they were sending them out on Thursday. Because there's no Friday games this week, uh, we're probably not going to actually get the actual injury reports who's questionable, probable, and whatnot until Friday morning, maybe even Saturday morning for some of those Sunday games. So just give it a quick look because a lot of what we're going to talk about is dependent on certain players staying out of the lineup or other players finding a way to get back into it. As you can see in my article, which will be live on pff.com by the time you're listening to this podcast, I did make a USFL Twitter list that just literally has the eight USFL teams plus my guy Cody Main over at Establish the Run. He's always giving good stuff about the USFL as well, obviously. So if you just want to go that, you can open up the list. TweetDeck's a great program to kind of view this stuff chronologically. Although I think Elon actually fixed Twitter to a point where you can now pick the chronological uh, options. So shout out Elon for that. Anyway, just please check these roster updates because we've seen this several times throughout the year where a guy has a huge game one week and the next week they're on the inactive list sometimes not even with an injury designation would note that these players were signed to their squads not expecting a big role but they are now on the roster wide receiver Darvin Kidsey to the Gamblers, wide receiver Jeffrey Thomas, formerly of the Maulers. He is now on the Stallions. The Maulers signed wide receiver Isaiah Henney, and then their general signed running back Kingston Davis and quarterback Guy Myers. So the big thing that I see from that is the reality that, my goodness, we still are going to be looking at a situation where the Bandits are going to only be having one running back, depending on the uh, just... Um, ultimate status of B.J. Emmons and that thigh injury. So Jawan Washington, again, may be looking at a true every down roll. Into the quarterback injury situations to keep an eye on. Houston Gamblers backup quarterback Kenji Bauer still out with that hand injury. He wasn't even listed on their inactive roster. I tried to find if they had actually released him. Looks like when I went to the team website, he still is on the team. So again, just, just c- come on, social media accounts. You guys have this information. Just please do a little better job giving it to the actual, you know, group of us that are dying to uh, know exactly what's going on in this league. Clayton Thorson, not someone we've been overly concerned with in fantasy throughout the season anyway, but if Bahar is going to be active, he could steal a series or two away like he did earlier in the year. Again, Brian Scott continues to be out for the Stars. Expect Case Kukas to continue to have all those snaps. 
Panthers quarterback Paxton Lynch with that ankle injury hasn't played since week three. Shea Patterson tentatively expected to again take every snap. With that said, Josh Love was signed last week. And I know based on kind of what we've seen from Patterson, best game of the year. Last week, 309 yards through a touchdown, like actually had a lot of good things going on, but I wouldn't be shocked, particularly if Lynch is active, if we see them go back to splitting things up and maybe if Josh Love is going to be there. So the good news, guys, we still do have some of these platoons, but generally things are starting to clear up a little bit. Shout out to PFF's finest, Dwayne McFarland, for hitting me up with this lovely utilization report information. But basically, as things stand from week five, Jordan Tiamu, Kyle, Kyle Sloter, Clayton Thorson, and DeAndre Johnson, as well as Case Cookus, all played 100% of their offensive snaps. And Shea Patterson was at 94%, very close, just with some kind of wild stat, wildcat goofball stuff going on there. So to finally have six of the offenses fully utilizing a QB1 for the entire game is great to see. And we might just get there with the two other ones. Jamar Smith took over for Alex Magoo, ended up working as the overall QB1 on the week, despite only dropping back on 66% of the team's total pass plays. And we also had the Maulers end up leaning on Vad Lee over Kyle Luletta, 79% to 21% drop back rate, and Vad Lee ended up leading them to their only win of the year. So far more confident in Smith, hopefully taking over that job. I mean, the first time he came in, it was due to injury. Pretty freaking positive it wasn't due to injury this time, but you know, again, it's tough to tell some of these times. So assuming I would think that with rational coaching, Smith is going to be the guy. But then again, we, you know, it's not what we want. It's what we think is going to happen. And the Stallions do seem awfully persistent on continuing to keep Magoo involved. I mean, even with the design runs, that's been the weird thing. We know, we know Jamar Smith is perfectly capable of running. He got in for at least one touchdown, if not two, last week. But Alex Magoo is the one actually getting all the read option design looks. So. With the Stallions, still not positive it's going to be Smith under center for every snap. Moving forward, and the same goes with the Maulers. I mean, Vadley has not even been on the team for two weeks. We've already seen the Maulers, you know, refrain from giving Josh Love or Kyle Luletta this every snap role. I'm doubtful they're going to immediately give that to Vadley when he probably still doesn't know the playbook. And honestly, he looked awfully erratic out there. Hey, he got the touchdowns. Win is a win is a win. Great job, you know, leading them down. And he should be more comfortable in future weeks himself. But man, some of that decision-making, you know, being sacked and just chucking the ball up across the field, trying to get out of his hands. I think it's the sort of stuff that could end up giving him a pretty short leash here on a, on a team that, other than Bailey Gaither and Trey Walker, hasn't given us much fantasy goodness all year. With those quarterbacks in mind, my favorite plays of the week got to be Generals quarterback DeAndre Johnson and Bandits quarterback Jordan Tiamu. With DeAndre, just 8,400. 100% snaps now. He is out there and Luis Perez is not. When he is running as much as he is, which is like 10 to 15 rush attempts per game upside, you just cannot fade that. It is looking so good for the run first generals when DeAndre Johnson is there. And like he just has multi-touchdown upside on the ground per week in addition to being the USFL's most efficient passer in terms of yards per attempt. So love this matchup. Nothing scary about this gambler's defense. And I think you can actually make this somewhat contrarian by going ahead and stacking Johnson with Jamal Moore if he's going to be healthy enough to return. He's missed the last few weeks with that hamstring injury, but two weeks ago, he was listed as probable. Last week, he was full go, but he actually wasn't brought up from the inactive roster. We did see in week two, I believe, was when he actually played the full games, like allotments of snaps. So 
theoretical number one receiver if he's healthy enough to suit up. If Jamal Moore remains sidelined, I do prefer Kevontae Turpin, who is actually going to be in a position to get some rush attempts in this pretty diverse offense. Darius Shepard is there as well. Alonzo Moore fills out three wide receiver sets. Also back in buying on Jordan Tiamu, back-to-back top five finishes against two top t- against arguably the top two defenses in Michigan and Birmingham. So Tiamu has been playing well lately, and he's getting those awesome rush attempts again. DeAndre Johnson, 22% of his offense is designed rush attempts. That's crazy high, like Lamar Jackson level high. Um, might even be higher, honestly. Tiamu, 12%. That's number two in the league. So really, these are the two quarterbacks that are going to run the ball the most and we're most confident in playing a lot. That league could get in that conversation, but I'm just far more confident in Johnson and Tiamu's overall snap rates. So I would be stacking Jordan T- uh, Tiamu with John Franklin. 100% of the bandage dropbacks last week, and he is dirt cheap. More on him in a bit. Favorite fades, talked about Vadley, just not confident enough in him being out there. And that cheap price tag, I think, is going to get a lot of attention uh, with people trying to save money, which you just don't need to do. I mean, again, we're going to get to some of these wide receivers later where you just don't really have to worry about salary with the rest of your roster the way they are priced. Also, with Shea Patterson, potential for Lynch or Love to get more involved in the next week combined with just... Like, why is he still being priced at 9500 I'm out on Shea this week. I'm out on the passing game that continues to keep all these tight ends involved. I'm just expecting Michigan and Birmingham, who, again, top two defenses in the league probably, to be in a pretty much a defensive struggle. For that reason, I'll also be fading Jamar Smith because we also got to wonder how much will Alex Magoo continue to stay involved. So, you know, credit to Patterson last week. He was the overall QB3 against that Birmingham pass rush, though. That is going to be rough. Moving on to running back injury situations. So Darnell Holland, the Stars starting running back, returned from his hamstring injury last week, wound up playing just 2% of the snaps. Paul Terry was the workhorse, 51%, but Matt Colburn far more involved than he had been the week before at 45%. So Matt Colburn was actually out, I believe, week two with a knee injury. When he came back, we saw his snaps really start to escalate as he kind of got healthier and healthier. So I think they're probably doing the same thing with Darnell Holland. Doesn't make sense for him to be the week one starter, play well, have all this, you know, past time with Bart Andrus in the spring league and then just be relegated to number three back like you know they made him active got him in pads got him out there for I think literally a snap now next week I would expect that to ramp up so Paul Terry like looked great last week and still they were using Matt Colburn more Um, it's looking like this is going to be a three back committee right now the Stars and the Panthers are the two backfields I'm looking to fade because they're continuing to look like full-fledged three back committees which we want to avoid in fantasy land New Orleans Breakers running back Larry Rose. I'm not sure if he's hurt, but he is on the inactive roster, which is good news. Again, want to avoid those three-back committees. We can live with two backs in the year 2022. Anthony Jones is the current backup behind Jordan Ellis. Maybe Jones gets a bigger bigger role increase, but he's not exactly coming back from injury. He's just kind of learned the offense. So Jordan Ellis can still be safely trusted as a top five, even top four fantasy back. Houston Gamblers running back Dalen Dawkins with the illness returned to action last week, and that made Devall Whaley just completely off the roster. They moved him back onto the inactive squad, and Dawkins resumed his status as the clear number two behind USFL rushing leader Mark Thompson. So this is a good situation. We got Thompson, clear lead feature back regardless of if Dawkins or Whaley are active, and that and now Houston has shown that they're not going to keep Dawkins and Whaley active in the same week. So Thompson is again one of these running backs that we can trust far more than just about anyone else. 
Finally, mentioned this before, but Tampa Bay Bandits running back BJ Emmons could be out again with a thigh. We nailed this one last week, and it wasn't that hard. I'm not, you know, going to break my arm trying to pat myself on the back here, but literally wrote last week, Juwan Washington might not leave the field if Emmons is sidelined. They're the only two running backs on Tampa Bay to see snaps all season. What happened? Washington, 100% of the snaps. That doesn't happen in fantasy football. Unless you're like a Washington uh, commander tight end, you don't play 100% of the snaps as a skill position player more weeks than not. But hey, once again, if Emmons is going to be out with this thigh, could be all day for Jawan Washington and we've seen them even before Emmons got hurt like the idea of playing Washington because you know we talk on Thursdays so I, I wasn't even sure if Emmons was going to be out but when Emmons is just banged up and we had seen them really rotate Emmons and Washington not as these like not as the early down back and the pass down back but more so just 1A 1B that should give us the confidence to that they're going to use Washington in an every down role. So even if Emmons is sidelined, I mean, clearly he's hurting for him to have to miss last week. So less than 100%, it would make a lot of sense if Jawan Washington continues to get featured, but maybe Emmons is active more so as an emergency back only, similar to what we saw with Darnell Holland. So even if Emmons is back this week, it's still a two-back committee, which we can live with. Don't be afraid to go back the well with Jawan Washington. It might be a net positive if Emmons being active drags down some of that ownership. Have Dwayne's utilization stuff available in the article, but basically everyone, I just want to point out the four workhorse backs we have in the USFL at this point. This is where I think we should be focusing most of the exposure because the other backfields just don't have the same upside and they lack clarity. So Tampa Bay Bandits running back Jawan Washington just talked about BJ Emmons and the thigh injury. New Orleans Breakers running back Jordan Ellis, 74% snaps, 55% rush attempts, and 73% routes last week. Primary competition early in the season was TJ Logan. He was released weeks ago. Houston Gamblers running back Mark Thompson, USFL's rushing leader, 76% of the snaps last week, even leading the way in routes at 63%. And on long down and distance, he was out there for 77%. So Thompson, he's huge, like 235, 240 pounds, but he looks like Leonard Fournette out there. He's wearing number seven. He's catching these checkdowns. You know, just because a, a running back isn't an Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey caliber receiver, doesn't mean they can't catch five checkdowns a week. All of those receptions count the same in fantasy land. Final one, Birmingham Stallions running back C.J. Maribel, reigning USFL Player of the Week. It would make sense if Bo Scarborough continues to get more involved, but last week, we actually saw Scarborough mostly just take away from Tony Brooks-James. Maribel continued to play 78% snaps, 61% rush attempts, and 72% routes. So, Stallions game, one I'm probably going to be fading a little bit more so than these other matchups, but particularly, guys, Washington, Ellis, and Thompson, big three running backs of the week. I will mostly be fading those Stars and Panthers backfields due to um, them having three players involved. Similar sentiment for the Generals, but they run so much and we have seen them operate as the most efficient offense. So Darius Victor, Trey Williams, they're in play. If you want to get a little bit more gross and go with Garrett Groshek and Madre London, they are a two running back committee as well. So Darius Victor has been burning me all year. Dude just keeps scoring touchdowns. Maybe he'll keep on keeping on. Looking at some wide receiver and tight end situations, Mahler's wide receiver Bailey Gaither returned from the uh, injury list. He was out for a week or two with an illness. All he does is go out there, score two touchdowns, and look like one of the best players in the league. Also want to note that the Mahler's released Jeffrey Thomas and Brand 
Brandon, Mac. That means that we're going to have Gaither, Trey Walker, and Delvin Hardaway basically running a route in every single drop back. Each of Gaither, Walker, and Hardaway had a, a route rate of at least 90% last week. Gaither, Walker, look, they've been the best guys all year, but Hardaway had a bunch of targets as well. I'm probably fading this passing game for the most part because I just don't trust Vad Lee to do that again. And Kyle Luletta hasn't shown us much to begin with. But Delvin Hardaway at his price point um, would be a nice pivot off these guys. I just kind of question his overall ceiling. Philadelphia Stars wide receiver Brennan Eagles out with a shoulder injury remains on the inactive roster. Right now, most pass-happy offense in the league. Jordan Sewell, DeAndre Overton, Buck Howard, and Devin Gray. Those are the big four guys. Maurice Alexander and Chris Rowland are the odd men out from a route percentage perspective. Talked about Jamal Moore and the generals a little bit with his hamstring injury already. If, with him out, it's Darius Shepard, Kevontae Turpin, and Alonzo Moore. Earlier in the year when Jamal was in, Alonzo became the odd man out. So Shepard and Turpin especially Turpin. Turpin plays this unique role in the offense. I don't think that's going anywhere. Shepard's actually been playing through a hamstring injury himself. So I'm fine prioritizing Turpin regardless of Jamon's status. I like going to the well with Jamon in his first game back from injury if he is healthy enough to suit up though. Also, gamblers, wide receivers, just need to keep an eye on this situation because they're always making you know someone inactive or active even after big games. So Tio Redding is currently active, made probably the single best catch of the season last week, that one-hander down the sideline. But accordingly, Tyler Simmons and JoJo Ward were inactive. JoJo looked fantastic in week four. Maybe I'm biased towards him because my first cat uh, growing up when I was like five years old, I named JoJo. So uh, I know no one probably cares so my bad but anyway he had a pretty sick touchdown in terms of the route and then made a couple guys miss uh just hasn't been active though i thought he was going to be the number one receiver when the season started we'll see if they are finally going to make him active alongside teal redding if not it will be redding anthony ratliff williams and tyler Polka in three wide receiver sets so redding as i'll list in a second like he has one of the cheapest prices on the entire slate relative to what his routes were last week but like more than any other wide receiver room in the league keep an eye on those inactives for Houston because of, again, how willing they've been to switch it up throughout the year. Quickly, a tight end, uh, Kerry Angeline for the Stallions was back to an every-down roll. Sage Surratt out of the picture with a hip flexor injury. Even if Surratt's able to get healthy, though, Angeline is their starting tight end. I would expect him to keep that every-down roll. And with the Panthers, tight end Marcus Ball out with a hand injury. They promoted Ryan O'Malley off the practice squad, and I think he caught a touchdown on the first drive of the game. Classic Michigan Panthers. Unfortunately, they keep three tight ends involved on a weekly basis. None of them are viable fantasy assets. So, again, check the article out for some of Dwayne's utilization stuff. All the numbers look at week five specifically. And then I also only included wide receivers and tight ends getting at least 50% of their offensive routes. Anything below that, you're just kind of asking for trouble. Very cool um, graph was put together by Anthony Reinhard. Shout out on Twitter. You can follow him. Let me get his handle. At Ryan Hurdler, R-E-I-N, Hurdler. So, Anthony, fellow USFL diehard, appreciate your man. But, yeah, he put together, as you can see, YouTube folks out there, the 2022 USFL target share and average depth of target graphs for weeks one through five with a minimum of five targets. So, guys, it's great. And this shows us exactly who the target hogs are in the USFL. Specifically, these are the guys getting about 20% of their team's targets right now. 
Michigan Panthers, Lance Lenore, well over 30%, even with an average target depth of about 12-13. I mean, Lance Lenore, if he had anything close to competent play throughout this season, would be having huge numbers by now. Maybe they finally put it together. Shea is coming off his best game. Lance Lenore is someone that just would be breaking. I'm sure, again, say this every week, if Josh Ernstmeyer cared about the USFL, I'm sure Lance Lenore would be redacted by the air yards model, but just realize more so the quarterback's fault than his. His teammate, Devin Ross, is also sitting there at a 20% um, target share, and he is a bargain on DraftKings. So Lance Lenore, Devin Ross, if you want to go with the Michigan Panthers passing game, not the most advised, not the most advisable thing, but hey, weird things have happened. Those are your guys. With the Birmingham Stallions, Victor Bolden just continues to really soak up target share. I mean, he has the highest target share in the entire league. You know, has been a little bit more quiet over the past few weeks, but in my opinion, like Victor Bolden, Jonathan Adams, and probably... I would say the top five wide receivers I've seen this year in terms of what they've been able to pull off, Victor Bolden, Isaiah Zuber, Jonathan Adams, Johnny Dixon, and then probably Bailey Gaither. I give Trey Walker a lot of credit too. So that'd be like my top six if uh, we throw Walker in there. But yes, Victor Bolden, well over 30% routes. I know his DraftKings price is like over 10K, but I think that might actually keep some of the ownership off him. And again, with all those potential salary saving options we have, I do like the idea of going with Bolden. You don't even need to stack him. Just take him there because he's been so far ahead of all these other receivers throughout the season. New Jersey Generals' only guy over 20% is Cavante Turpin. And, hey, Turpin's also the only one that's actually getting the rush attempts from this wide receiver room. You know, USFL version of Devo Samuel, if you will. They actually are, you know, getting creative, giving him some reverses and things of that nature. And he is uh, making good use of it. He had a rushing touchdown a few weeks ago. And just kind of in this run-first offense, if we are going to go with one of the receivers, might as well be the one also getting involved in the run game. With the Houston Gamblers, Isaiah Zuber, hand up. I said this on the review pod, but I was wrong about Zuber's, you know, t- potential touchdown regression. It wasn't a slight on him. It was more so a slight on Clayton Thorson, if anyone. But, hey, he's got over 20% target share, average target depth above 15. I was just surprised how good he looked with the ball in his hands after the catch last week. I mean, he he had a nice touchdown catch in a contested target situation. But to see him almost break like a 70-yard score on a pretty routine uh, crosser later, uh, really impressive stuff from Isaiah Zuber. So he looks like the real deal, more than capable of continuing to put up big numbers even inside of a meh passing attack. With the New Orleans Breakers, Jonathan Adams and Johnny Dixon really starting to stand out. Last week, Dixon had all the targets, all the opportunities in the world, couldn't quite get it done. Jonathan Adams, though, continues to be the number one guy on a route rate on a week-by-week basis, continuing to go back to the well with, my, in my opinion, the single best player in the USFL. Final guy with the route rate, excuse me, target rate ahead of over 20% this year is Trey Walker for the Maulers. A little bit skewed, though, because Bailey Gaither has missed that time. So Gaither and Walker really do seem to be the top two guys. But don't sleep on Delvin Hardaway, who's not far behind with a target rate of about 16 17% in his own right. So thank you again to Anthony Reinhardt for this lovely graph. And look, this was cool PFF stuff. If any of you out there are trying to create some cool-ass USFL content, want some PFF numbers for it, just let me know on Twitter at iHeartIt's people helping people. So again, just to quickly reiterate who those wide receivers were, Panthers wide receivers, Lance Lenore and Devin Ross, Stallions wide receiver, Victor Bolden, Generals wide receiver, Cavante Turpin. Maybe Jamon Moore's return throws that off a little bit, but again, pretty sure Jamon should be more of a thorn for Alonzo Moore than Cavante Turpin. 
Gambler's wide receiver, Isaiah Zuber. Breaker's wide receiver, Jonathan Adams and Johnny Dixon. And also Mahler's wide receiver, Trey Walker. Still somehow just 4,400 on DraftKings. They just, you know, whoever's doing these prices just doesn't care. So whatever, I care. We'll continue to take advantage of it. Adams, Bolden, and Turpin are going to be my top three picks from the list when also considering quality of quarterback and week six matchups. Talked about Bolden before. Just seems like he could be due for a big time week. I love the idea of going with Adams, Bolden, and then just paying down a little bit. Go get you a Devin Ross at 3,600. Trey Walker, 4,400. Or especially John Franklin sitting down there all the way at just 4K, despite running around 100% of Tiamu's dropbacks last week. So John Franklin, Delvin Hardaway, Tio Redding, these guys all were just used almost every single play last week. Hardaway, 89% routes. Tio Redding, 93%. All priced at 4K or less on DraftKings. So that's the value we need. They're every down players. And they're all good players, in my opinion. I mean, Franklin, they've used them the Wildcat. Hardaway for him to be able to fetch some targets, you know, in this crowded offense and have the target rate he's gotten. That doesn't happen by accident. And Tia Redding, again, that catch he had last week, you would think that earned his earns him a couple more downfield opportunities in week six and beyond. Think that's about gonna cover it, everyone, from a DFS perspective. Again, not happening until Saturday this week, so you got a little extra time. Just make sure you check out that USFL list and make sure we are clear with the actives, inactives, injuries, and all that. Now, for the best bets, season against the spread, staying in the green, just barely 11-8-1 on the year. couple plays away from being great. Also, always a couple plays away from not being great. But you know what? We'll focus on the positives, continuing to try to stay well above that 500 mark. Not trying to be Jeff Fisher here, but I probably just jinxed myself by even bringing that up. So anyway, on to week six. The Tampa Bay Bandits are up against the Philadelphia Stars. Bandits are favored by three points. Game total sitting at 39 and a half. So with these teams, two who I believe are a bit overrated relative to their wins and losses uh, this year, I just think Jordan Tiamo is the better quarterback in it, even over Case Cookus um, at this point. So, you know, when you look at the defenses, Philadelphia Stars, again, the worst in the league. I just think that while the offenses are pretty close, there's enough of a discrepancy on the other side of the ball. So I'm taking the Bandits minus three. I don't think this Philly defense can get a stop when it counts. Michigan Panthers taking on the Birmingham Stallions. Stallions favored by, you know, just six and a half. Game total at 37 and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go Stallions minus six and a half here, guys. I... I agree. I talked about how Michigan is not as bad as a lot of people maybe think they are and you know how you would assume they are based on that one and four record. But come on, only six and a half points for the consensus number one team in the USFL against a team that I don't think is in the bottom two, but they're certainly not in the top four. So for me, this is just too small of a spread for two teams that are multiple tiers apart. Give me the Stallions. And it's honestly the same reasoning for the Breakers uh, minus seven and a half against the Maulers in our next matchup game total sitting at 35 and a half like Pittsburgh I called that last week that that they would be they would no longer be winless good for me whatever but come on they're playing the New Orleans Breakers when the Pittsburgh Maulers are facing the Houston Gamblers that's when I'm okay but this spread has only moved like two points from that I'm pretty sure the Maulers were like plus five and a half last week against Houston you're only telling me New Orleans is two points better than the Houston Gamblers I firmly disagree with that give me the Breakers minus seven and a half Maulers haven't surpassed 23 points in a game all season. God forbid Kyle Sloter actually plays 60 straight good minutes. I just don't think there's any way Pittsburgh can keep up in this one. 
final game of week six, Houston Gamblers versus the New Jersey Generals. Generals sitting on seven-point favorites. Game totals at 37.5. I am going to take dog of the week here. We're going to go with Gamblers plus seven. I don't think they win DeAndre Johnson and company. Four and one for a reason, and that only loss was to Birmingham in week one in a game that featured Jamar Smith scoring the game-winning touchdown, or at least leading Birmingham to that game-winning touchdown with, I believe, like under a minute remaining. So, with the Gamblers, I just think they can keep this one close. They haven't lost by more than seven points all season long, expecting them to keep that streak intact. So just keep in mind, Houston, not good, but minus nine point differential. That's ahead of the three and two bandits as well as the two and three stars. So I do think it's more so of a big three, little five, as opposed to you know trying to really find this big difference between some of the more middling teams. I will take the Gamblers plus seven. And with that, wrap up another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Appreciate the USFL crew sticking with me all year long. We'll continue to be back all year long in the 2023, 24, 25, whoever. If there is spring football going on, I can guarantee you I will be here talking about it. So thanks as always for tuning in. And until next time, take care, everybody. Thank you.